Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Welcome to our episode today on Elder D. Todd Christofferson. I love Elder Christofferson, and I'm excited to talk a little bit about him today with you. A great way to start, I think, is to think about this. Who are your role models? Who are the people that you look up to and admire? Who are your mentors? Who are your leaders? Who are the people that you want to be like in your life? And I know that in Elder Christofferson's life, One of his heroes was probably his father, no question about that, but also his grandfather, his grandfather Swenson, who Elder Christofferson seemed to talk a lot about and who had a huge impact on his life. Not only did Elder Christofferson's father, Helg V. Swenson, not only was he beloved by so many members of his stake, but he was certainly beloved by Elder Christofferson and he loved Elder Christofferson as well. And then one of Elder Christofferson's aunts, Nell Gurley, Gurley, told this experience. This is from an Ensign article, You Are Free. She related this, My daughter and I were visiting in my parents' home, that's Elder Christofferson's grandparents. Along about sundown, my mother asked if we would like to step out on the porch and watch Father call his five sheep to come into the shelter for the night. Father is a stake patriarch and the personification of all that is good and gentle and true in a man of God. Father walked to the edge of the field and called, Come on! Immediately, without even stopping to bite off the mouthful of food they were reaching for, all five heads turned in his direction. And then the sheep broke into a run until they had reached his side and received his pat on each head. My little daughter said, Oh, grandmother, how did grandfather get them to do that? My mother answered, The sheep know his voice, and they love him. Now I must confess that there were five sheep in the field, and five heads went up when he called, but only four ran to father. Farthest away, clear over the edge of the field, looking straight toward father, stood a large ewe. Father called to her, Come on! She made a motion as if to start, but didn't come. Then father started across the field, calling to her, Come on! You're untied! The other four sheep trailed behind him at his heels. Then Mother explained to us that some few weeks before this, an acquaintance of theirs had brought the ewe and had given it to Father with the explanation that he no longer wanted it in his own herd. The man had said it was wild and wayward and was always leading the other sheep through the fences and causing so much trouble that he wanted to get rid of it. Father gladly accepted the sheep, and for the next few days he staked it in the field so it wouldn't go away. Then he patiently taught it to love him and the other sheep. Then as it felt more secure in its new home, Father left a short rope around its neck, but did not stake it down. As Mother explained this to us, Father and his sheep had almost reached the straggler at the edge of the field, and through the stillness we heard him call again, Come on, you aren't tied down anymore. You are free. I felt the tears sting my eyes as I saw the sheep give a lurch and reach Father's side. Then with his loving hand on her head, he and all the members of his little flock turned and walked back towards us again. I thought how some of us who are, who are all God's sheep are bound and unfree 
because of our sins in the world. Standing there on the back porch, I silently thank my Heavenly Father that there are true under-shepherds and teachers who are patient and kind and willing to teach us and love us and teach obedience and offer security and freedom within the flock so that we may be far from the shelter will recognize the master's voice when he calls, Come on, now you are free. Then Elder Christopherson quoted Elder Packer's words of saying, We are not obedient because we are blind. We are, we are obedient because we can see. What a great... <laughs> what a great way to start off this in my mind of just talking about Elder Christofferson's father. Now, David Todd Christofferson was born to Paul Vickery and Jean Swenson Christofferson on January the 24th, 1945 in American Fork. Elder Christofferson's father was in China serving the U.S. military near the end of the World War II. So Todd and his mother lived with Sister Christofferson's parents, Helg and Adina Swenson, for 18 months. This was the beginning of a close relationship between Todd and his grandparents, one that would be extremely influential throughout his life. Now, Todd and his four younger brothers were raised in Pleasant Grove and in Linden, and they enjoyed what he calls an idyllic and wholesome childhood, one in which the boys enjoyed unstructured time to play, invent, and learn. One of Elder Christopherson's childhood stories that I always remember, he said he was five or six years old, lived across the street at the time from a small grocery store, and one day two other boys invited me to go with them to the store. And as we stood coveting the candy for sale there, the older boy grabbed a candy bar and slipped it into his pocket. He urged the other boy and me to do the same, and after some hesitation, we did. Then we quickly left the store and ran off in separate directions. I found a hiding place at home and tore off the candy wrapper. My mother discovered me with the chocolate evidence smeared on my face, and escorted me back to the grocery store. As we crossed the street, I was sure I was facing life imprisonment. With sobs and tears, I apologized to the owner and paid him for the candy bar with a dime that my mother loaned me, which I had to earn later. My mother's love and discipline put an abrupt and early end to my life of crime, he said. Now, I just can't imagine Elder Christofferson being too wicked. In fact, this next story will highlight why I feel that way. This story was published in The Friend a while back, but Elder Christofferson said that as a child, one of my neighbors owned a large orchard, and my summer job was picking pears and peaches. I would ride my bike over there early in the morning and pick all day. One day I knew by lunchtime that I had picked fewer bushels than usual, and I thought something really bad would happen to me because I was so far behind. So I hurried home on my bike for lunch, hoping that somehow my parents would make it right I was in tears on the way, and I remember thinking, oh no, what a terrible thing is going to happen. Now, I'm going to take a time out here for a second and say, what kind of young man, what kind of young boy was Elder D. Todd Christofferson to think because he didn't pick enough pears or peaches that the entire world was going to collapse? That's an incredible thought. When I arrived home, he said no one was there. The whole family was gone to one place or another, and I thought the world was going to come to an end. I had nowhere to turn, and so I knelt down to pray. I asked Heavenly Father to somehow save me from whatever was going to happen, and right away I felt a very sweet inner peace. I knew that everything was going to be all right and that I didn't have to worry. So I dried my tears, I had lunch, and went back to work. And indeed, the world didn't end. Everything was okay. That experience taught me that the Lord is willing to hear my prayers. When problems are important to me, He notices. He will help us when we have trials, even if they seem unimportant to other people. Now, once again, for Elder Christofferson, 
that was a significant, significant experience in his life, thinking that the world was going to collapse. And to a lot of us, we would read and go, okay, what's the big deal? But the point is, is that our Heavenly Father is always there for us. He said growing up in Utah Valley that we had a very secure and happy home life. Father and mother taught us through their examples. They showed us how to live according to the pattern of the gospel. In fact, his parents remember Todd being an obedient, happy son. Todd was a good boy and always knew what kind of life he wanted to live. He was a great influence on his brothers. His parents also recalled that he was eager to help whenever there was a need. When Todd was 13, his mother, mother underwent significant surgery as part of cancer treatment. And Elder Christofferson's father, who was with her at the hospital, learned that Todd had gathered his brothers together to pray for their mom. Let's talk a little bit more about that story. I think it's a significant one in the life of Elder Christofferson. Here's what Elder Christofferson said about his mom's cancer. He said, Years ago, when my brothers and I were boys, our mother had radical cancer surgery, and she became she came very close to death. Much of the tissue in her neck and shoulder had to be removed, and for a long time, it was very painful for her to use her right arm. One morning, about a year after the surgery, my father took mother to an appliance store where and asked the manager to show her how to use a machine that he had for ironing clothes. The machine was called an iron right. It was operated from a chair by pressing pedals with one's knees to lower a padded roller against the heated metal surface and turn the roller, feeding in shirts, pants, dresses, and other articles. You can see that this would make ironing, of which there was a great deal in our family of five boys, much easier, especially for a woman with limited use of her arm. Mother was shocked when Dad told the manager that they would buy the machine and then paid cash for it. And despite my father's good income as a veterinarian, mother's surgery and medications have, had left them in a difficult financial situation. On the way home, mother was upset. How can we afford it? Where did the money come from? How will we get along now? Finally, dad told her that he had gone without lunches for nearly a year to save enough money. Now when you iron, he said, you won't have to stop and go into the bedroom and cry until the pain in your arm stops. She didn't know he knew about that, and I was not aware of my father's sacrifice and act of love for my mother at the time. But now that I know, I say to myself, there is a man. And by the way, the, the reference, Let Us Be Men, the October 2006 General Conference, a great, great message from Elder Christofferson. Well, when you think of those heroes, again, as I talked about early on, and mentors, there's no question that Elder Christofferson as a boy is watching his father tend to his mother and he's learning those great lessons. That surgery was successful, but it did limit Sister Christofferson's ability to complete routine household tasks and Todd knew how much his mother loved homemade bread and how difficult it would be for her to continue to make homemade bread. And so he asked his grandmother to teach him how to bake that bread and he made it regularly for the family until he left for college several years later. And I think what a great young man, full of the Spirit and full of Christ-like love. When Elder Christofferson was 12 or 13 years old for Christmas that year, he asked for a Bible, and then he read it from cover to cover. And I just think, wow, what did I ask for for Christmas when I was 12 or 13? And I think I remember it was a gun. And uh, anyway, so credit to Elder Christofferson for wanting some scriptures. 
Now, I mentioned that Elder Christofferson's grandfather, Helg Swenson, served as a bishop and then stake patriarch. His example, along with that of his parents and other extended family members, had a profound impact, impact on young Todd. In fact, Elder Christofferson said, My grandfather was a great man, a very spiritual man, the kind of man boys in the ward loved and loved me around. And one morning when Todd was slow getting out of bed, his grandfather came to get him and found him kneeling by his bed praying. His grandfather quietly went out and waited for him to finish. And as soon as Todd finished that prayer, his grandfather came in and gave him a big hug and said how pleased he was with seeing his grandson begin the day by praying. There was no reprimand for being late. And then speaking of his grandfather, he said, I've always felt that praying was more special because of the way that he reacted. I know I'm flip-flopping a lot on going between Elder Christofferson's father and grandfather, but there was another story that Elder Christofferson shared in conference where his father, Paul Christofferson, was running for city council, and Todd and his brothers helped with the campaigning by walking around the community and handing out flyers and knocking on doors. And when someone opened the door, Todd and his brothers would give them a flyer and say, hey, vote for our dad, Paul Christofferson. And I remember, well, Elder Christofferson said that he remembered that handing uh, those flyers out, and sometimes people would say something like this, Paul is a good and honest man, and I would have no problem voting for him. Now I will quote from Elder Christofferson, who shared this story in a talk he gave called Fathers in the April 2016 General Conference. He said, My young boy heart swelled with pride in my father. It gave me confidence and the desire to follow in his footsteps. He was not perfect, no one is, but he was upright and good and an inspirational example for his son. What a great story. What a great hero in the life of young Todd Christofferson. Another one of my favorite Elder Christofferson stories took place when he was once again about 12 years old. And he and his family owned about 50 or 60 head of sheep. And one spring, just as the sheep were ready to lamb, there was a freak blizzard. And his dad was in Chicago on a business trip at the time when the sheep started giving birth. And so Elder Christofferson's mom called him home from school and his grandfather showed up and taught Todd how to rub the lambs with gunny sacks to keep them warm so they would survive. But his grandfather also had to go back to work. And Elder Christofferson remembered that I was alone with those sheep, most of them having lambs. I was almost in tears thinking that I couldn't take care of them and that we were going to lose the lambs. But still I went to work and after all the sheep had given birth, I was surprised to find out that we hadn't lost one lamb. And that experience taught me the value of persistence and self-reliance. And then he said, sometimes you just have to do the job because no one else is available. It's tough and there are many challenges and you may want to give up. You may think that you're not strong enough or that you don't know enough, but just do your best and keep going, he said. Now, 13 lambs were born that night. And when his father called the next day, he said, so how many lambs did we lose? And very proudly, Todd said, we didn't lose any. This experience was a prelude to Elder Christofferson's future ministry where he has faithfully cared for the Savior's lambs who have come under his stewardship. Now, I heard that story in another way. It was an interview that Elder Christofferson had with Sister Sherry Dew. And she said, that seems like that was a big deal for a 12-year-old boy to save those 13 lambs. And Elder Christofferson said, yeah, I think it was a big deal. And he said, you know, today we live in a world where parents believe that in order to give self-esteem to their children, they 
tell them how wonderful they are. But he said, really, self-worth comes from doing hard things. And Elder Christofferson spent a lot of his life doing some things that were quite hard and difficult. In fact, the next thing that's going to happen in his life at the age of 15 is his father's going to accept a job as a veterinarian in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And so they're going to move from the, the little hamlet of Linden, Utah, to the suburbs of New, Jer- of, <laughs> of New Brunswick, New Jersey. And now Todd's going to go from a place where he was the, uh, along with many others, just everyone was a member of the church, right? Every school friend, every teacher, every person at every institution was a member of the church, from banks to stores to hospitals to whatever, to now he's going to live in a place where he's like the only member. In fact, he was the only church member of his high school class. And uh, people there in New Jersey came from a variation of cultural and religious backgrounds. And uh, anyway, Todd discovered that many of his friends felt that their beliefs and felt as passionately about their beliefs as he felt about his own, which caused him to have to think very deeply and fervently about what he knew. In fact, I love this from Elder Christofferson. He said that, I began to see that the church wasn't just nice, but it was of life and death importance. And I began to appreciate what I had. I love that observation from Elder Christofferson, and I've seen it in our own lives. For example, I remember when we lived in Texas, and our youth went to a couple different high schools in our ward. And when they got together, they did not want to leave. In fact, on Wednesday nights, first, it would be super rare to be missing anyone, just rare. In fact, if someone wasn't there, if one of our youth was gone on a Wednesday night, we would say, let's go get them, let's go find them, right? And then uh, when it became 9 o'clock, 9.15, we were saying to the youth, guys, you got to go home now. <laughs> you've got school tomorrow, you've got early morning seminary, but they just did not want to leave. It was incredible. And then when we came here to Utah, it was kind of just the opposite. We were, we were struggling more to get our youth to come to some of our mutual activities. There's something about the mission field that just can put the gospel deep, deep into your heart. Another experience Elder Christofferson had in the mission field told by his brother Greg that Todd was always spiritually inclined and exemplary in his conduct. In fact, Greg noted that a few years after his brother graduated from high school, one of Todd's outstanding classmates had been praying with his wife about how to raise their young children. And then when Latter-day Saint missionaries came to their door, the man recalled how good and honorable Todd was, one of the only Latter-day Saints he knew. And he said, because of that memory of Todd Christofferson, the man invited the missionaries in and his family joins the church. What a great, what a great story. I love that. Now, one of the things I believe is that Most of our apostles have what I call a seminal type of experience in their youth, something that really anchors them and cements them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for Elder Christofferson, this is that experience. He's a teenager living in the suburb of Somerset, New Jersey, and he's participating in the cast of the Hillcomora pageant in Palmyra, and he did that for two summers. During the production his first year, he remembered the words of a former bishop who would encourage the youth of the ward to never give up striving with the Lord until they had burned into their hearts a testimony of the gospel. Todd had taken the words of his priesthood leader seriously and had prayed about his testimony from time to time, but now in Palmyra, the cradle of the restoration, he determined that this was the time and place where he was going to get a sure confirmation. 
And so one night after the Hill Cumorah performance, he said, I went to the sacred grove alone, and it was a beautiful summer evening. I took off my shoes, went in, and began to pray. I prayed very diligently for an hour, maybe more, and nothing happened. And after some time, he gave up and left, disappointed. Disappointment consumed him. What had he done wrong? Why hadn't Heavenly Father answered his prayer? Now, before I go on, there's a couple of observations here to make. One is, I've been to the Sacred Grove several times in my life. Never once have I ever thought of taking my shoes off. But I think that shares something of Elder Christofferson's sense of reverence for that sacred site. And then how many of us have prayed over and over and maybe didn't feel anything and became very frustrated. So stay with the story. It's a good one. And what seemed like no time at all, the two-week stretch of pageant performance has ended and Todd returned home to New Jersey. About a month later, as he was reading the Book of Mormon in his home, in his bedroom, in fact, he received his answer. Without asking for it, the witness came. It came without words, but I received a very powerful spiritual confirmation, the kind that leaves no doubt about the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith. Looking back on that experience, I realized that we can't dictate to God when, where, or how He will speak to us. We, we just have to be open to receive what He disposes, when He disposes it, and it comes according to His will. I'm glad that Heavenly Father did not respond to me that night in Palmyra. I might have thought that you have to be in a special place to get an answer to a prayer or to gain a testimony, but you don't have to make a pilgrimage to Palmyra to know that Joseph Smith was a prophet and that the Book of Mormon is true. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to know that Jesus is the Christ. And if Heavenly Father found me in Somerset, New Jersey, he can answer the prayers of anybody anywhere in the world. He knows us intimately. And he can answer us whenever our place or circumstances. And I'm so grateful to hear that from Elder Christofferson. I've had experiences to be in some of those sacred places, and I've always loved it because I feel there is something special that you feel there. But I remember maybe 13 or 14 years ago, I was a new faculty member at Brigham Young University. And those who were new were taken on a special church history trip because we are the Department of Church History and Doctrine. And I remember being in a van with colleagues, approaching the site at the Hill Cumorah, and then our leaders told us, okay, get out, go find a private place, and go have a spiritual moment to yourself, and we'll come back and pick you up in a couple of hours. And I remember walking out of that van and thinking to myself, okay, I can tell you right now, that nothing's going to happen because they just told me I'm supposed to have a spiritual experience. At least that's how my mind works. And I remember sitting on a bench in the sacred grove and doing some writing and reflecting and expressing some gratitude. And, and it, was a, it was awesome. But I couldn't tell you that I had visions or angels or I had the most spiritual experience in my life. In fact, for me sometimes, some of those most spiritual experiences have come while mowing the lawn, while driving in my car, I, so I love what Elder Christofferson is saying, is sometimes we go to those sites and we want one of the most spectacular spiritual experiences to occur when sometimes they don't. And then we start to question and Elder Christofferson says, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Heavenly Father can speak to you anywhere and he will when he feels it's the right time and the right place. Now, like so many, Elder Scott or Elder Christofferson goes to BYU for that first year and then he goes on his mission and he's called on a mission to Argentina and he has an incredible 
experience there because his mission president is Elder Richard G. Scott. How incredible would that be to then years later serve with your mission president in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles? Now, Elder Scott remembers Elder Christofferson as an exceptionally outstanding missionary whose devotion and capacities were evidence that he would have a life of unusual significance. And then he also noted that this young elder was particularly disciplined, obedient, and hardworking, and that he demonstrated a gentleness of spirit that blessed each of his companions and endeared him to his investigators and converts. He recalls one incident Elder Scott did where Elder Christofferson actually had a bike wreck in which he damaged his suit and injured his hands, but he was undaunted. He brushed himself off, climbed onto the bike, and continued on for that appointment. Anyway, don't, don't, don't know a whole lot more about Elder Christofferson's mission, but in 1966, he returns from Argentina. He's back at BYU where he studies English, becomes involved in student government and intramural sports. And while he's there, uh, he meets a cougarette, a member of the BYU drill team, Kathy Jacob. And uh, they meet, they fall in love, they marry. And I love what Elder Christofferson said. He said, I knew Kathy was good and wonderful when we were first married. I just didn't know how deep her character and qualities and wisdom and goodness really were. I've been happily surprised as time has gone by how much better she is than I realized even then. I think a lot of us could say that, that we, when we marry, we're so grateful that those decisions are led and directed by the Lord because we had no idea at, at our young age how incredible, hopefully, how incredible our spouse would be uh, as as the years have passed on. I know I feel that way about my wife, Janie. I just didn't understand how incredible she was. Now, their daughter, Bryn, said that everywhere that we have lived, people have loved my mom. She is super creative. She's real, and she's fun, fun, fun. Now, when you get three funs, that's that's got to be significant. Well, after the Christoffersons graduate from BYU, Elder Christofferson goes to Duke University to pursue a law degree, and he completes his degree in 1972. He's hired as a law clerk to federal judge John Sirica, the judge that would preside at the Watergate trials. In fact, Elder Christofferson and Judge Sirica, John Sirica, had an incredible, wonderful relationship. And when it was, when it was time for Todd to move on, to get into his own career, Judge Sirica said, I can't let Todd go. He's too valuable. He's the only person I can talk to. What a great compliment. Years later, 1992, Judge John Sirica passed away, and he wanted Todd Christofferson to speak at his funeral. One fellow attorney, a man not a member of our church at all, said to someone, I've just come from the most inspiring funeral mass I've ever attended. And it was because of Elder Christofferson who had taught the plan of salvation. Now, Elder Christofferson was also involved, besides his clerkship with Judge Sirica, in the United States Army, where he served active duty for a while and then eight years of inactive reserves. And he completed his commitment with the Army as a reserve captain. And then Elder, Elder Christofferson has a wonderful law career after that. He works for several different law firms, and then as an in-house general counsel for several healthcare systems and banking entities. He was an associate general counsel of Nations Bank, which is now Bank of America. And those job opportunities took Elder Christofferson everywhere, Washington, D.C., Nashville, Tennessee, Virginia, and even North Carolina. 
And one of the things Elder Christofferson said he loved the most about living in those places was that he had an association with good people from all walks of life. In addition to his church service, which included bishop, stake mission president, stake president, regional representative, Elder Christofferson was very involved in these interfaith community groups. He really had a way of drawing people together, drawing people in. Regarding family life, Elder Christofferson said at a BYU devotional, it has been my blessing to be present at the moment of birth of each of our five children. In each instance, I felt that it was a sacred experience, clearly something divine and miraculous was taking place. I love that. So the Christoffersons have five children, Todd, Bryn, Peter, Ryan, and Michael. They have eight grandchildren. Now, that's this is old. I'm reading you from his biography when he was called uh, back several years ago. They're, the Christofferson children, though, describe their upbringing with their dad as loving, caring, and centered on the gospel. They are a member of good balance of family and fun and individual training. In fact, Peter recalls serving as his father's companion as a new home teacher slash ministering brother during Elder Christofferson's busy, busy life. He was working as a corporate counsel. He was a stake president, but he made time for each of his children. In fact, Peter said, I was inspired by my father's faithfulness in being a great home teacher, despite his having limited time. One of the sisters we visited was a shut-in. Father cared for her tenderly, making sure that she always had the sacrament and that her needs were met, he said. Bryn remembers her father as being very thoughtful. Just two days after she left home to attend BYU, she received flowers at her dorm with a note from her dad that said, have a great semester. And then she said this, while dad had high expectations for us, he was never preachy. He was very loving and low key and he was happy and he wanted us to be happy. I want to share with you today two experiences that I feel highlight Elder Christofferson's life in such a significant way. He said, always remembering the Savior means that we always remember that nothing is hidden from him. There is no part of our lives, whether act, word, or even thought, that can be kept from the knowledge of the Father and the Son. No cheating on a test, no instance of shoplifting, no lustful fantasy or indulgence, no lie is missed, overlooked, hidden, or forgotten. And whatever one gets away with in life or manages to hide from other people, he or she must face when the inevitable day comes that he or she is lifted up before Jesus Christ, the God of pure and perfect justice. Speaking personally, this reality has helped impel me at different times either to repentance or to avoid sin altogether. Now here's a couple of stories he shares. On one occasion, in connection with a home sale, there was an error in the documentation, and I find myself I found myself in a position where I was legally entitled to get more money from the buyer. The real estate agent asked if I wanted to keep the money, a significant amount, since it was my right to do so. I thought about facing the Lord and the, pers- the personification of justice and trying to explain that I had a legal right to take advantage of the buyer and his mistake. I couldn't see myself being very convincing, especially since I would probably be asking for mercy myself at the same time. And I knew I could not live with myself if I were so dishonorable as to keep the money. I replied to the agent that we would stick with the deal as we all understood it originally. It is worth a great deal more to me than any sum of money to know that I have nothing to repent of in that transaction and that I have nothing to answer for regarding it when I appear before the great judge. Now here's another story that he tells 
in that same talk. And by the way, this is from a BYU-Idaho devotional, Always Remember Him, January 2009. He said, In my youth, I was once negligent in a way that later caused injury to one of my brothers. It was not major, but required some stitches in his hand. I was embarrassed about it and didn't own up to my stupidity at the time, and no one ever knew about my role in the matter. Now, I know some of you are like me, and you're like, wait, what happened? What did he do? But we're never told. So stay in suspense. Many years later, though, I was praying that God would reveal to me anything about my life that needed correction so that I might be found more acceptable before him, and this incident came to mind. Now, time out again. Wow, what do you say about a person who is praying to their Heavenly Father to reveal anything to me that needs correction so that I can be more acceptable before God? Now, that is a scary prayer for many of us, right? Frankly, I had forgotten about this incident with my brother. The Spirit whispered to me that it was an unresolved transgression that I needed to confess. I called my brother and apologized and asked for his forgiveness, which he promptly and generously gave. On reflection, I realized that my embarrassment and regret would have been less if I had apologized when the accident happened. Of course, it would have been even better if I had followed the prompting of the Spirit at the time and avoided the injury to my brother altogether. It was interesting and very significant to me that the Lord had not forgotten about that event of the distant past, even though I had. It was a comparably comparatively small thing, but it needed to be handled or I would be answering for it at the judgment bar when the opportunity for repentance had passed. I realized once again that things do not get swept under the rug in the eternal economy of things. Sins do not take care of themselves or simply just fade away. They must be dealt with. And the wonderful thing is that because of His atoning grace, they can be dealt with in a much happier and less painful manner than directly satisfying offended justice ourselves. Oh, what a great principle taught by Elder Christofferson. Another experience that I can share, this was a devotional that Elder uh, Christofferson gave at BYU on January the 9th, 2011, called, called Give Us This Day, Our Daily Bread. And in this talk, Elder Christofferson shares an experience, a very personal one. He's very vulnerable here as he shares this, and it's a reminder to me that as a bishop, as a stake president, whatever Elder Christofferson's calling was at the time, that all of us can have challenges, no matter what our church positions or experience are. All of us are susceptible to any challenge. And here's his story. He said, Sometime before I was called as a general authority, I faced a personal economic challenge that persisted for several years. It didn't come about as a consequence of anyone's wrongdoing or ill will. It was just one of those things that sometimes come into our lives. It ebbed and flowed in seriousness and in urgency, but it never went away completely. At times, this challenge threatened the welfare of my family and me, and I thought we might be facing financial ruin. I prayed for some miraculous intervention to deliver us, and although I offered that prayer many times with great sincerity and earnest desire, the answer in the end was no. Finally, I learned to pray as the Savior did. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I sought the Lord's help with each tiny step along the way to financial resolution. There were times when I had exhausted all my resources, when I had nowhere or no one to turn to at that moment, when there was simply no other human being I could call on to help meet the crisis before me. And with no other recourse, 
More than once I fell down before my Heavenly Father, begging in tears for His help. And He did help. Sometimes it was nothing more than a sense of peace, a feeling of assurance that things would work out. I might not see how or what path what the path would be, but He gave me to know that, directly or indirectly, that He would open the way. Circumstances might change, a new or helpful idea might come to mind, some unanticipated income or other resource might appear at just the right time. And somehow there was a resolution. Though I suffered then, as I look back now, I am grateful that there was not a quick solution to my problem. The fact that I was forced to turn to God for help almost daily over an extended period of years taught me truly how to pray and get answers to my prayer and taught me in a very practical way to have faith in God. I came to know my Savior and my Heavenly Father in a way and to a degree that might not have happened otherwise or that might have taken me much longer to achieve. I learned that daily bread is a precious commodity. I learned that manna today can be as real as the physical manna of biblical history. I learned to trust in the Lord with all my heart, and I learned to walk with Him day by day. I love that story by Elder Christofferson. Not too long ago, maybe a year or two, I was in a meeting uh, with other stake presidents in our area, and Elder Christofferson presided at that training meeting. I found Elder Christofferson to be warm, to be kind, to be compassionate and interested in us genuinely. He wanted to know about our lives and how we were doing in our callings. He wanted to know about our families. Later in the day, there was a meeting with stake presidents and their spouses, and the spouses were able to ask any questions that they wanted to. And a sister asked a very personal question, one that was about her children. And I won't go into the details. I'll try to keep that anonymous. But I'll never forget Elder Christofferson standing before us. And as the sister sobbed as she asked this question about about children in her family, I remember Elder Christofferson saying, that is such a tender question. And as Elder Christofferson answered her question, it was almost as if you could see the personification of the Savior just with him. I just thought this is exactly how Christ would be, just loving someone, showing compassion, showing empathy, almost weeping with this person, so to speak. And I just felt the peace and the mantle and the reminder that, as Elder Holland would say, prophets are in the land again. And I felt the assurance that Elder D. Todd Christofferson is a living prophet, no different than the prophets and apostles in the days of the Savior. And I was grateful to be in his presence. I have felt great strength from his messages. I have felt my testimony renewed and strengthened and fortified. I have felt my conversion deepen. I felt my love for the Savior and the gospel strengthened as I've listened to his messages. I sustain him fully as a prophet, seer, and revelator 